Hello and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Run Away Together. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. everybody i hope you've had a enjoyable and productive month we're back with book three in the famous five series five run away together jen how are you doing had any adventures i think probably my main adventures this month have been cat ventures okay i was described the other day as a cat dealer (laughs) which i actually quite liked just so no one thinks that's shady or gets the wrong idea about me which i care very much about I volunteer at a cat shelter, so I know loads of great cats who, like, you know, really need homes. So if ever anybody mentions they're thinking about getting a cat, then I'm like, what kind of cat do you like? What kind of, what do you want? What kind of age? You know, because I pretty much guaranteed I know a cat that will fit the bill. Um, But I would like to say that I'm a big advocate for rehoming and for spaying and neutering your pets. Adopt, don't shop. Exactly. Boom. If you want to buy a kitten or a puppy... That is your prerogative, but just be careful who you get them from. Make sure you're not like buying into puppy farms because it ends up with problems for you. But yeah, if you need a cat and you live near me, I'm in Bristol. I'm pretty sure I know the cat for you. So just hit me up, email her. How have you been, Katie? I had a wonderful adventure earlier this month. Oh my gosh, tell me about it. I got on a train and then I got on another train and I ended up in somewhere called Gloucestershire. Oh my goodness. And what did you do there? I went to see my very good friend and podcast co-host. And we had lots of adventures, saw some treasure, and ate lots of lovely food. Do you know, it's funny you say that because also last month, as well as my usual cat ventures, I actually had a very good friend of mine, and also she's a podcast host too, isn't this weird, come visit me in Gloucestershire and we had adventures, saw treasures and ate nice food. Isn't that coincidental? That is so strange. So, five run away together. Are we ready to dive into the book? Let's dive. So, this book, I've got quite a concise back of the book, but I'll read mine to you. Julian, Dick, Anne, George, and Timmy the dog find adventure wherever they go. Who has been on Kieran Island? The famous five think they're on the trail of smugglers until they hear a child scream. Ooh. Mmm. Here's the back of my book. The famous five are excited to fill George's boat with food and blankets and spend the week on Kieran Island swimming and exploring. But when they discover a mysterious trunk has been smuggled onto the island they realise an even bigger adventure lies ahead. And after they hear a child scream in the middle of the night, they must find out who else is there with them and why. Yours is very mysterious. So, let's get into it with chapter one. George has been on her own for three weeks of the summer holidays. And, along with Timmy, she thinks back to the adventures that she's had with her cousins. They're due to arrive the next day, thank goodness, as George is missing them a lot. They've gone on holiday, but George's parents, quote, had wanted their little girl with them. Which is in direct uh, opposite to when Uncle Quentin, in the last book, didn't want children. I feel like he said a few times that he doesn't like children, but, I mean, he's allowed a character development, I suppose. George looks out over Kieran Island and wonders if her mother will let them go and live on the island for a week. Her cousins arrive and the author makes a point to say that it is a year on and they are all a year older, even Anne. That's really fun because I know we were talking before about how old the children are and I think I'm going to start a little note of what seasons the books take place in and see see how they're ageing up. So at the moment they're Mm. still sweet little kids, aren't they? Because they're now, Julian's now going to be 13, so he's a teenager George and Dick are going to be 12, and Anne has just turned 11. The Famous Five series was originally only supposed to be six books long. And so when Enid Blyton wrote them, she wasn't expecting to write 21 adventures, and 
sort of keep the children in stasis. I think that's why she's aging them up. Yeah, that makes sense. Because there was no plan to keep going and it probably would have stopped, well, at book six, which is only three more books time. So even if that's two summers, Julian would only have been 15 when the books ended. But then, of course, they carry on for a lot longer. But it's definitely something interesting to track. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun little thing, isn't it? George tells them that her mother isn't feeling too well. And she tells them about her idea to stay on the island. And, of course, they think it's great. Who wouldn't? And we're then introduced to Mrs. Stick, the new cook, as Joanna is nursing her mother who has broken her leg. In Chapter 2, the famous five wake up and go for a bathe. On the way back to Kieran Cottage, they meet Edgar Stick, who is the same age as Julian, but stupid yet sly looking. He also sings a song to tease George. George is keeping her anger in for the sake of her unwell mother, which shows maturity for George. Yeah. I think a book or two ago, she would have flown off the handle and battered him. Yeah, absolutely. Timmy is not keeping his anger in, and he has taken against the Sticks' dog, Tinker, a.k.a. Stinker, and they have a fight. Uncle Quentin tells Julian to get the garden hose, which is good advice to separate fighting dogs. Don't try and do it with your hands. But he does take the opportunity to also hose down Edgar, which I thought was a little bit wild for him. But actually, Julian is quite wild in this book. We've definitely got a wild Julian going on in this one. The wild Julian, yeah. Separate dogs with a hose if they're fighting. Don't, don't go in there. The children talk about how they dislike Mrs. Stick and Edgar and Stinker. They want to go on a picnic to escape. George's boat's being mended, so they can't go out in that. But they get Aunt Fanny to ask Mrs. Stick for sandwiches. In Chapter 3, they go and see Jim, the boatman. Jim. Jim. George's boat is nearly <laughs> seaworthy. The fishermen all call her Master George because they like her and they have no problem with gender fluidity. I I like that very much. I'm a firm believer that gender's just sort of like a, a bit of an outdated concept. And I'm glad that even when these books were coming out, she wanted to be a boy and they addressed her as a boy and it makes her happy and that makes me happy. The sandwiches are bad, but Timmy doesn't care. They're sat looking at the island, reminiscing and also reminding readers that they're two other books because it comes up a lot when they say, oh, remember what we did last holiday? Oh, remember when we couldn't go to the island because of the snow? And I was thinking about it, but if you pick up this book from the library, for example, you might not realise that it's book three or it might be the only one available. Mm. And you can't just go on the internet and find out what other books there are. So to do actual yeah. advertising within your book, I think is very clever. Because, I mean, quite often there's lists in the front of what the other books are called. But to do it within the story, have a little tease of going, ooh, remember when we did this? And you think, well, I've got to read that book now. Yeah, that's true. It's good just to refer to the other adventures. So then you think, oh, yeah, I like this one. Let me look for others. Then you see this is book three. They see a spire of smoke on their island. They think it could be just mm. a steamer behind it, but it could be people having lit a fire. George is furious and wants to go straight away, but the others make her see sense. They head home, hoping Aunt Fanny is feeling better. As they walk, they see that the smoke is gone, but there's no steamer. Back at Kieran Cottage, Edgar has been doing exactly what he likes, including going in Uncle Quentin's study. Now, why is this study not locked? Have we not learnt from book two that people will go in the study and steal secrets and break things? Yeah, I mean, especially as we then find out that Uncle Quentin's gone with Aunt Fanny to the hospital. So he's actually left the house unattended and he's left his study open when he's not there to man it. So that does seem silly, but maybe he was very worried. Maybe. Hope so. But if he gets his secrets burgled again, he's only got himself to blame this time. Absolutely. So George is frantic at the news that Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny have gone and Edgar's being deliberately vague. George slaps him and he is about to fight back when Julian steps in. Edgar says that Aunt Fanny had a terrible pain and has been rushed to hospital with Uncle Quentin in tow. And chapter four begins, Dear George, your mother has been taken very ill. I'm going with her to the hospital. I shall not leave her till she is getting better. 
that may be in a few days' time or in a week's time. I will telephone you each day at nine o'clock in the morning to tell you how she is. Mrs. Stick will look after you all. Try to manage all right till I come back, your loving father. And when we were reading this, I was worried that Aunt Fanny was going to die and I asked you if that was what was going to happen. But you did kindly remind me that in these books they need to get rid of the grown-ups so that they can have adventures. So then I felt a lot better. I think she's going to pull through. Well, we'll find out. Ooh. Ooh. George is inconsolable until Anne says that Timmy doesn't understand why he's sad and just wants to make George better. Mrs. Stick comes in to see who hit Edgar and Julian demands tea. Mrs. Stick dropped her eyes first. I'll get your tea, she said, but if I have any nonsense from you, I'll get you no other meals. And if I have any nonsense from you, I shall go to the police, said Julian unexpectedly. He hadn't meant to say that, it had come out quite suddenly, but it had a surprising effect on Mrs. Stick. She looked startled and alarmed. Now there's no call to be nasty, she said in a much more polite voice. We've all had a bit of a shock and we're all upset like. I'll get your tea right now. Julian went out. He wondered why his sudden threat of going to the police had made Mrs. Stick so much more polite. Perhaps she was afraid the police would get on to his Uncle Quentin and he would come tearing back. Uncle Quentin wouldn't care for a hundred Mrs. Sticks. He went back to the others. Tea's coming, he said, so cheer up, everyone. It wasn't a very cheerful company that sat down to tea Mrs. Stick brought in. George was now feeling ashamed of her tears. Anne was still upset. Dick tried to make a few silly jokes to cheer everyone up, but they fell so flat that he soon gave it up. Julian was grave and helpful, suddenly very grown up. Because he's 13 now. I like it when they the author gives a situation and each child is reacting differently to it. Yeah, it's nice. And it's so right that Dick would be trying to cheer everybody up yeah. with some terrible jokes. Bless him. And you can tell how bad everybody was feeling because nobody even noticed what they had for tea. Edgar passes by to tease them and Julian inexplicably grabs his nose. He seemed... A different Julian, a grim, determined Julian, a very grown-up Julian, a rather frightening Julian. The author's really deciding that Julian is becoming almost adult in his behaviour, apart from the nose-pinching thing. The way he speaks to Mrs Stick, he is... This is a sort of side note that I've been thinking about. He's incredibly rude to Mrs Stick, mm -hmm. and it's... Perhaps justifiable because she's not the nicest person, but it's totally different way that he was with Mr. Rowland in the second book when Mr. Rowland was rude. And there's two things at work here. I think Enid Blyton wanted the children to age, and so she's trying to sort of say in different ways that he's growing up. But there's a massive element of snobbery here which can't be ignored. Mr. Rowland was an intellectual, a teacher, middle class. Mrs. Stick is a cook and working class, and the working class are all very well in their place of servitude, but if they step out of line, then boys like Julian wouldn't think twice of putting them back there. Mm. And I think that genuinely comes across in that example of the way he speaks to Mrs. Stick, who is an adult, but Julian believes himself to be head of the household currently, and yeah. she is staff. Yeah, I, I agree fully. I didn't think before of how that is a class issue, because of course Mr. Rowland was very rude to them, but Julian wouldn't have spoken to him that way. He was just a bit sullen in the background. But then with this lady, she's a woman and she's his staff, and it's very different. So after angering Mrs. Stick, Julian isn't sure they will even get fed, and George says they will get their own meals. Outside, Timmy and Stinker, or Tinker, are fighting again. Mrs. Stick appears with a stick, and Julian grabs the hose again. Mrs. Stick threatens to poison Timmy, but then the phone rings and it's Uncle Quentin. George tries to tell him what's happening, but he has other things to worry about. This was all quite disturbing, actually. I really... I don't like that Tinker the dog is somehow a villain. Like, I feel like his only crimes really is he's a bit mangy and they don't give him enough baths. But that's not, I don't feel like that's enough reason to mercilessly bully him. Which I kind of feel is what Timmy does in this book and none of the children seem to mind. So that bothered me. But why is Mrs. Stick saying she's going to poison Timmy? That's just awful. This book is dark. I, I agree it is. 
Chapter 5, there was no supper and the kitchen door was locked. So in the night, Julian goes to the lard to get food and sees a man sleeping in the kitchen. He stumbles in the dark and wakes him up. He is revealed to be Mr. Stick and he won't let Julian pass until he whistles for Timmy and then he can pass. As they eat the food, Julian tells them about Mr. Stick. When Uncle Quentin phones, Mrs. Stick answers it and reassures him. George snatches the phone. Aunt Fanny is no worse. Julian tries to tell Uncle Quentin about the situation, but Uncle Quentin says, if you're not happy, go home, but George is not to go with you. And it ends with Mrs. Stick saying, I'm here and I'm staying here on your uncle's orders. Uh-oh. Chapter 6. George tells the others that they'd better go home. She has a plan of her own and they're not in it. George has reverted to old George. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, this also made me sad because she has reverted to old George and she's being secretive and won't include them. But they're the famous five. They're in it together. Come on, George, open up. You're spoiling my plan, she said at last. You should go back. You really should. I tell you, you're spoiling my plan completely. Well, what is your plan? said Julian impatiently. I can't help feeling you're just pretending you've got a plan. So that we'll go. I'm not pretending, said George, losing her temper. Do I ever pretend? You know I don't. If I say I've got a plan, I have a plan. But I'm not giving it away, so it's no good asking me. It's my own secret, private plan. Well, I really do think you might tell us, said Dick, quite hurt. After all, we're your best friends, aren't we? And we're going to stick by you, plan or no plan. Yes, even if we spoil your plan, as you say, we shall still stay here with you. I shan't let you spoil my plan, said George, her eyes flashing. You're mean, you're against me, just like the sticks are. Oh, George, don't, said Anne, almost in tears. Don't let's quarrel. It's bad enough quarrelling with those awful sticks without us quarrelling too. George's temper died down as quickly as it had risen. She looked ashamed. Sorry, she said. I'm an idiot. I won't quarrel. But I do mean what I say. I shall go on with my plan. I shan't tell you what it is, because if I do, it will spoil the holidays for you. Please believe me. Oh, George. Julian battles the sticks again to get food. In a way, he doesn't win because he doesn't get any food. So he says they'll go and buy some sausage rolls from the shop. George doesn't want to go too far in case there's a phone call about her mother. Edgar brings Timmy some food and George orders him not to touch it and he obeys. As a test, she offers it to the sticks dog, Tinker, and Edgar won't let her feed it to him. This makes George convinced they're trying to poison Timmy. It also makes me convinced they're trying to poison Timmy and it is just too terrible. I mean, that is terrifying, isn't it? Imagine being in a house with people that you thought were trying to kill your pet. Yeah, and... Also, Anne says, you don't think the sticks would poison us, do you? And Julian says, no, idiot, which is rude. But then he says, they only want to get Timmy out of the way because he guards us so well, which is also incredibly sinister. What are they going to do to these children without the dog there? I mean, they're already neglecting them, not feeding them, borderline mistreating them. So, I mean, how much worse is it going to get for them? Luckily, they don't poison Timmy. Without Timmy, I imagine it would be a lot worse. In Chapter 7, Julian's using intimidation tactics to get food, revealing Mrs. Stick has been buying lovely mm. food with Aunt Fanny's money and feeding the children bread and cheese. Julian takes chicken, tomatoes and treacle tart. To be fair to Julian, he is the eldest and he's angry that his uncle's money and house is being mistreated. And he can't use physical force, he's 13, and having yeah. Timmy with you makes you brave. And Julian notes that when he mentions the police again, Mrs. Stick is worried. They eat their dinner and there's another good bit of dog advice. Don't give dogs chicken bones because they splinter. That is very good dog advice because they do splinter. I'd actually put a little tab on that page saying, taking care of Timmy. Good girl, George. And I like the idea that children will read it and remember it and use it yeah. later in life if they have a dog or, you know, let other people know. The next morning, the phone rings. Aunt Fanny has had an operation and is much better now. Oh, good. Do you think she had appendicitis? Possibly, because they said she was not She was feeling poorly and then she had a sharp pain and now she's mm. had an operation. So it may well have been appendicitis. That was the only thing I could come up with. Mm, yeah. Chapter 8. Now George knows her mother's going to be okay. She wants to get her plan in motion, so she tries to send her cousins home again. 
They refuse and Julian decides to keep an eye on her. Later, George declares she's going to the shops and tries to send them on ahead, but Julian says he'll go with her and they all end up going. George buys matches, methylated spirits and a torch battery. That evening it rains so they played cards and Julian summons Mrs Stick with a dinner bell asking if she'd rather he went and got the food himself with Timmy. She brings food and they go off to bed quite late, 10pm. Ooh. And we know that they've been to bed at 8pm before now. Yeah. Julian wakes up after hearing a noise but doesn't hear Timmy bark. He checks the girl's room and George is gone. There's a note from George. She's going to live on the island. <gasps> Without them. He races out of the house and ends up stopping her. Julian tells her they'll all go in the morning. Yay. And the reason I said it in that intonation is in the 70s episode, that's exactly how Julian says it to George. <laughs> Bless. It never occurred to George to ask them to go to because she didn't want them to be in trouble as well. As they get back to the house and wake Dick and Anne, they make a plan which is mainly about sourcing food because they've got the right idea. Yeah, I mean, they know... We know that there must be drinkable water on the island because they didn't really take any drinks last time. And we know there's shelter. And last time they just had some some rugs and pillows and they were happy as clams. So we know, actually, that food is the most important item to take to the island. They've all got the right idea. They're sensible children. They raid the snowed-in store cupboard that Aunt Fanny keeps. Uh, They raid the larder and they take everything they need. They get everything down to the boat in a wheelbarrow. And then they leave Dick to sleep in the boat, guarding the food. I love that so much when he just cheerfully says, you know, oh, you don't worry, I'll just sleep down here tonight and guard it, no problem. And they just go down there the next morning and he's fast asleep. He, Dick is my favourite. I love him. Dick is living his best life right now. He is. He is. (laughs) The next morning, they tell Alf, the trusty fisher boy, where they're going and he'll signal if Uncle Quentin is back. They go to the butcher and to the baker before doubling back to the beach to see Dick to get him to move the boat to the next cove. It's very clever what they do because they then leave the train timetable out on the table, Mm -hmm. make lots of noise when leaving, and that way the sticks think they've gone home. It is very, very clever. In the next chapter, they all go off in George's boat and arrive on the island, and they do what I think you would probably do, Jen. They have a meal, and then they have a nap. That is... Like, I did that today. (laughs) Have a meal, have a nap. Yes. When they wake up, it's afternoon, and they need to find a shelter. I'm a bit worried about them getting sunburned, by the way. That's what I thought as well. I don't suppose it was a known about um, bad thing. That's true, yeah. Julian awoke first, then Dick, feeling very hot indeed, for the sun was blazing down. They sat up yawning. Goodness, said Dick, looking at his arms. The sun has caught me properly. I shall be terribly sore by tonight. Did we bring any cream, Julian? No, we never thought of it, said Julian, because they were only thinking about food, obviously. Priorities. Cheer up, you'll be burnt much more by the time this day ends. The sun's going to be hot. There's not a cloud in the sky. But like you said, they probably didn't realise... How terrible. Yeah, especially children getting burnt. But they're living their best lives. And, you know, they're in a book, so they probably won't get melanoma. They'll be fine. The only room in the ruined castle that they'd sheltered in last year has had its roof fall in and was no good to sleep in. Disappointed, they go to look at where the well and entrance to the dungeon is. They realise people have been there as there were heavy stones on the entrance to the dungeons and someone had built a fire. They go to visit the wreck and look for shelter. On the wreck, they find a small trunk that hadn't been there very long. Ooh. And also, they do consider staying on the wreck, but it still smells bad. And it's very unsafe and starting to fall apart. So, good choice to not stay there. I wouldn't like to stay on on a wreck. No. I think I'd choose the dungeons over a wreck. Yeah, me too. The trunk is locked and they can't open it, but they wonder if it's smuggled goods. So they put it back and agree to keep an eye on it in case the smugglers return. Um, I would like to say when they find the trunk and they're trying to get into it and Julian says, blow these straps, I can't undo them. I put a note on there saying, time to smash. Because you can just throw things from great heights if you can't get in. Don't worry, Julian, I've learned this from you. 
Oh, yes, of course, in book one. Yeah. Just throw it out a window, throw it down the cliff. You can't open something? Throw it out a window. As they are clambering off the wreck, Dick stops. He's spotted a cave. Ooh. George isn't sure to start off with, but as they clamber over the rocks, they find that it is the most perfect dry cave with soft, warm sand and a ledge around one side. There's even a skylight in the roof, meaning they can hang a rope up there as a better entrance than over the rocks. They all get their belongings into the cave and, of course, have a meal and then fall fast asleep. Their cave is so wonderful. I love it. I would stay in it. Yeah. And they... Oh, no, they're so sweet. I love them. I want to be there with them. Well, in a way, we are. We are, that's true. In imagination. (laughs) In the next chapter, they wake up and have a bathe. Kieran swimming pool, 20 pence a dip. Oh, dick. I know. (laughs) Living his best life. They eat breakfast, and as their children, they eat a very unusual mixed-up meal. They discuss the trunk on the wreck and Anne makes it her mission to organise the cave. Let's arrange everything very nicely in the cave, said Anne, who was the tidiest of the four (laughs) and always liked to play at houses if she could. This shall be our house, our home. We'll make four proper beds and we'll each have our own place to sit in and we'll arrange everything tidily on that big stone shelf there. It might have been made for us. However, I completely identify with when you move into a new house or flat, putting everything in its place and, you know, designating things in specific cupboards is a lot of fun. Yeah, I actually, I identified heavily with Anne in this passage because also if I went somewhere with three friends and they said, oh, you can organise everything, I would be like, yes, because (laughs) I like organising and I like putting things away and they're basically saying that they're like, they don't have any strong opinions about where things go, so I would just Mm -hmm. go wild. I would be Anne, 100% Anne. Actually, in regards to the cave in this book, I am very Anne. How house proud she is, love it. Yeah, there's something else coming up later, which I won't spoil. Yeah, there's there's more more things. There's two more things that I thought, oh, yes, I'm you, Anne. The cave looks wonderful. Quote, you're a good little girl. Anne resented the little, and rightly so. Yeah. They're taking turns to look out at the wreck, but nothing has happened. Anne falls asleep on her turn. She really has so many challenges to cope with. She does. She's only 11, and they're expecting her to stay up all night watching... Well, nothing, really. In chapter 14, Anne would like a fire. So eventually they light one at the mouth of the cave. She's already collected sticks, just in case. Good girl. When they're asleep, a noise wakes Julian, George and Timmy. Julian goes to the roof and calls George up. They can see a lantern on the wreck. And they also thought they could hear voices. They tell the others in the morning and go to the wreck to see if the trunk was still there. There was now also supplies like food and candles. There was definitely something strange going on. They decided they needed to hide their boat. If anybody arrived on the island, they would see it and know the children were there. But after that, Timothy began to growl. I never call him Timothy, Ooh. but I thought it was important to use his full name at this point. Yeah, this is serious business. Needs his serious name. There's people on the island. They're down in the dungeon. <clears throat> The children try and keep low, but Timmy runs off because he smelled a dog smell. Julian sees Timmy stalking the other dog, and they fight. Julian knows this will bring the smugglers back out and give them away. And out from the dungeons comes Mr. and Mrs. Stick and Edgar. Wow. George whistles and gets Timmy away, but not before Edgar chases him. They all hide silently in the cave and listen as the sticks are searching for the dog or whoever is on the island. They discuss what to do, and it occurs to Julian that the sticks could be the smugglers. So they decide to find out what they're up to. What did you think when the sticks emerged from the dungeons? Were you surprised, or were you expecting it? I... a little bit of both, because they'd obviously been set up to be the villains, and they kept being afraid of the word police. So I think I was sort of expecting it to be them. But I was still surprised, because are they or are they not supposed to be at the house taking care of business? The sticks are staying on the island, and so the children decide to freak them out by making animal noises to echo round the dungeons, which to me seemed a bit odd and a bit like a filler chapter because it wasn't very necessary. Mm-hmm. I suppose there was a bit of a callback with the cow noise that they made, but didn't do much for me. 
The next day, Julian, Dick and George go up to snoop around the sticks. Anne is left with Timmy, who isn't happy to be tied up and away from George. Julian follows Mr and Mrs Stick. George and Dick fight Edgar, and then they raid all the Stick's stuff, which actually belongs to them anyway. Mm-hmm. Edgar hides in the dungeons until his parents return. The Sticks are angry with Edgar, but they realise that if all their stores are gone, then someone took them. The children use this opportunity to get the little trunk that the Sticks had brought off the wreck and take it to the cave. They hide in the cave once more, and suddenly Edgar falls in. The children pounce on him and force him to remain silent. They grill him for information, but he doesn't know much at all. I really didn't like it when Edgar thawed on the hole because I didn't want him there ruining their fun. But luckily, he's so frightened of Timmy that he didn't misbehave or shout for help. In the cave, the children open the trunk. It has dolls and a bear and clothes. They can't work out why this is important enough to hide on the island. What did you think was going to be in the trunk? Um... Or what did you think when it was revealed? I wasn't sure what was going to be in it because they'd pointed out that it was such a small trunk. But when it was just children's clothes, I didn't, I wasn't really sure what to expect because I thought that the child's scream that they hear that's described on the back of my book, I thought that was going to be some sort of red herring. So it didn't, I don't know, it didn't really mean much to me. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. The children try and get information from Edgar. All he knows is they are expecting the Roma, but he doesn't know if that's a man or a ship or what. They decide to keep watch that night. Julian and George are on watch and they see figures and a boat and a bundle. Then they heard a girl scream. Assuming it was Anne, they dash back to the cave, but she's fast asleep. They woke Dick and Anne to tell them. And as George gets into bed, she realises something. This is my favourite bit of the book. Oh, Anne! said George in disgust. You've got our bed simply full of those dolls. And that teddy bear is here too. You really are a baby. No, I'm not, said Anne. The dolls and the bear are babies. Mm. They are frightened and lonely because they're not with the little girl they belong to. So I had to have them in bed with me instead. I'm sure the little girl would be glad. The little girl, said Julian slowly. We thought we heard a little girl scream tonight. We found a small trunk full of little girls' clothes and little girls' dolls. What does it all mean? There was a silence, and then Anne spoke excitedly. I know. The smuggled goods are a little girl. They've stolen a little girl away, and these are her dolls. And those over there are her clothes that were stolen at the same time, for her to dress in and play with. The little girl's here on this island now. You heard her scream tonight when those horrid sticks carried her down into the dungeon. Well, I do believe Anna's hit on the right idea, said Julian. Clever girl, Anne. I think you're right. It isn't smugglers who are using this island. It's kidnappers. So there you go. Clever old Anne. Yeah, clever Anne. And how awful if there really is a little girl being held hostage on this island. Luckily, Anne is taking care of her dolls and teddy bear. But, whoo, scary. So the penny has dropped and a plan needs to be made. In chapter 20, the Sticks are still looking for Edgar. Mr Stick thinks that he's been kidnapped and so they leave the island. The five decide to rescue the girl from the dungeons and leave Edgar there in her place. They venture into the dungeons and the little girl is revealed as Jennifer Armstrong. Quote, We're all children out here so don't be afraid, you'll soon be safe. That's Julian, bless him. So sweet. They lock Edgar in, but don't worry, he has got food, of course. Of course. And chapter 21 begins with... Do you want to say it? Yes. Anne liked Jennifer very much. (laughs) And I like Anne very much too. Jennifer is a fun character. She's not really a damsel in distress. She tells how she was taken from her house and that there was a maid called Sarah Stick who probably helped. Stick! They row back to the mainland to find that Uncle Quentin has returned. He came home to find the cottage empty and gone straight to the police. They explain everything. Jennifer is the daughter of millionaire Harry Armstrong and the kidnappers wanted £100,000. When Jenny finds out the five are going to return to live on the island, she is desperate to go too. They take her back to Kieran Cottage until her parents arrive. She is one brave little girl. She is, yeah, I mean, she's been kidnapped and she's not really sort of traumatised at all. She's just like, oh, I want to go on an adventure with you. I love the island. 
In the final chapter, Joanna has returned to Kieran Cottage. Thank goodness. Joanna, we missed you. Mr. Stick returns and Julian lets him know where Edgar is and then calls the police to let them know so they can catch the sticks on the island. Uncle Quentin returns to Aunt Fanny and Jennifer's father appears. He says he will give them any reward they want. And they say they don't want anything until Jenny nudges Julian and he asks if she might be allowed to stay on the island with them. Mr. Armstrong agrees eventually. Then the police require George to get them to the island, and so they all go. They catch the sticks in the act and take them away, leaving the children on the island to enjoy the rest of their holiday. I would just like to say that when the sticks are arrested, there's a little bit where the sticks went away quietly, Edgar sobbing away to himself. He imagined his mother and father in prison, and he himself sent to a hard and difficult school, not allowed to see his mother for years. And then it gets really sad because it says, not that that would matter, for the sticks, both mother and father, were no good to Edgar and had taught him nothing but bad things. There might be a chance for the wretched boy if he were kept away from them and set a good example instead of a bad one. Poor little thing. It shows that the five, well, I guess the four that are human, are fortunate because they have, and Dick and Julian have, um, very caring, invested parents. George has a peculiar dad, but her mum's very nice. You know, they've got good parents, they set good examples, they go to nice schools, and they have nice lives. And then Edgar is spotty, and his parents are mean, and their dog smells. And his parents going to prison might not be that bad a thing that happens to him. He's a bit disadvantaged. He is very disadvantaged, and let's hope that he found a family that can look after him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a character we've not mentioned very much. We mentioned him at the start, and that is Stinker the dog. Mm-hmm. And I know you talked about how you were upset that with the way that Timmy treated him and the way everybody treated him, basically. Yeah. And when I got to the end of the book, I realised that there was no mention of what happened to him, and I thought that would leave you very unsatisfied and rather sad. So I've written a little something for you. Oh, that's really good. Yes, good. Because all that happens is Julian says to the police, take the Sticks dog with you. There he is, Stinker, we call him. And then there's nothing else. What happens to poor little Stinker? Tell me. After the Sticks had been arrested and taken away, no one knew what to do with their rather smelly and sad dog, Tinker. He was shipped back to Kieran Cottage, and with no Timmy around, he sat safely at the kitchen door. Joanna, who was alone at the cottage, took one look at him and filled a large tub with warm, soapy water. She washed the dog to within an inch of its life. When he got used to it, he found that he rather enjoyed it. Joanna was soft and loving and spoke to him so kindly. She lifted him out of the tub and rubbed him with a large towel and then let him lie in the sunshine to dry. She treated his itches and fed him well. In a few days, he was a completely different dog. He was clean and happy and his tail that had been permanently between his legs wagged every time he saw Joanna. Oh! He overheard a phone conversation one day, and his name was used several times. He wondered what it meant. When the children returned from the island, they couldn't believe it was Tinker. Timmy, who had become sworn enemies, was cautious at first, but then, when Tinker didn't growl or bark, they became friends. The children realised that it wasn't Tinker's fault that he had been such an unlikable fellow. It was all due to his bad owners. One day, Joanna came to fetch Tinker, and he noticed his bed and toys had been packed into a box. He whimpered a little, knowing it wasn't a good sign, but there, sat at the kitchen table, was a lady just like Joanna, if not a little older. She cooed over the dog and made him feel so happy. Aww. The lady smiled, and Joanna said, What do you think, Mum? The doctor says you need to get your leg moving again. He's absolutely perfect, said Joanna's mother, and Tinker went off to lead his new life with an owner who loved him. Oh, the that's end. the best ending ever! <laughs> Tinker! Oh! Well, I'm so glad you wrote that, thank you. That was wonderful. That's when pleasure. you started it, I was like, oh, I wonder if he'll stay at Kieran Cottage, or maybe he could go with Joanna's mum, and then I was hoping that he would go with <laughs> Joanna's mum, and then he did. <laughs> Oh, that was really good. <laughs> that was especially for you. I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. 
What are your thoughts and feelings on book three? Oh, well, the some of the subject matter, as I said before, was quite dark. And I don't know, there was such a big element of mistreatment, really, that I didn't like. Because the other books, you know, there's bad men with a gun and there's bad men stealing things. But this was, I don't know, there was a lot of sort of like emotional abuse in this book that I didn't really like and I I didn't like Edgar but I felt sorry for him I very much liked Tinker because I felt very sorry for him but once they get to the island everything starts to have a look up and it's actually it's quite an exciting book I think when they're on the island and they know the sticks are there and they're all dashing around and trying to hide and Mr and Mrs Stick are right outside the cave but they don't realize it's there and then we have Jenny a fun new little character at the end and and obviously it all ends really well for Tinker. So um, I really enjoyed this book. It was I felt it was very different from the other ones, but it was very, very enjoyable. I agree. It's because I've read all 21, it's not one of my favourites. Because like you say, there's elements of neglect. There's a kidnapping of a very young girl mm-hmm. who, once she's rescued, is quite jolly about the whole thing. But I imagine that's to try and lighten the mood rather than anything else. And yeah. I don't like any example, really, of Timmy especially being unkind to anyone unless mm. it's somebody who's threatening him or George or the children. I really love the idea of them running away to the island and, you know, living this sort of idyllic life. I can absolutely imagine it. And it that's, for me, again, like you said, that's the best part of the book when they're, you know, there's a cave and it's perfect and they've got their yeah. stores and Anne has this good sense to put the water in the coolest part of the cave and all that sort of thing. I just think it's great. It is. It, yeah, I loved, loved when they were in the cave. I think it's brilliant. I hope they go back one day. Now, this is a section where I play some clips from the television versions. Now, it was hard to find clips as the two episodes are very different. So in the 1970s version, which on a side note stars former Doctor Who Patrick Troughton as Mr. Stick, there's actually no kidnapping. Ooh! The Sticks are helping out an escaped convict who's hiding on Kieran Island. The rest is quite similar. But it's incredibly condensed because the episode's 25 minute long and there's no cave, they just camp. And at the end, the sticks and the convict are locked in the dungeons because Dick and George got locked in there, then replaced with Edgar when Julian and Anne rescue them. Okay. They haven't actually suffered a lot at the hand of the sticks because of the short amount of time. The only thing that the sticks had really done was lock Timmy in the shed because they didn't want Timmy around. This clip is from when they get to Kieran Island for the first time and it's also edited for time. This episode was written by Gail Renard and directed by James Gatwood. And the clip stars the usual five actors, details of which are in episode one and on our website. I never thought we'd see land again! We're free! We're free! Come on, Come and give us a hand to push! The first job will be to make a fire! Here, looks as though someone's already made one. These ashes are warm. Someone's been here recently. What a cheek. Tripper. Remember that smoke we saw yesterday? Well, if another tripper sets foot on my island again, I'll set Timmy on them. Does that include us? No. We'll camp up by the old castle tonight. There's some good shelter. I enjoy this 70s version. Some of the acting is very, very wooden. I love the melodrama of, we're free, finally free. And if you're watching this clip, they can all be found on YouTube. I do like that the children are wearing life jackets in the boat. Good job, very safe. Well, it's interesting you should say that because the opening titles of this version of The Famous Five have Anne on horseback and she isn't wearing a helmet. And apparently at the time, uh, they got a lot of complaints. So they absolutely have to have things like life jackets but you know who aren't wearing life jackets the famous five in the 1990s version because it's set in the 1930s oh how interesting yeah Mm. i was trying to think when i was watching the clip is that the one at the start when Anne doesn't have her helmet on it is 
I, I just I don't believe you should ever be on a horse without a helmet but at least they've now they're now wearing life jackets so that's good next stop sun cream and then Anne will start wearing a helmet when she back. I have to say in any other episode where they're on a horse which I think is only one other they do all wear helmets it was oh, literally good. this opening section oh, good. good. the second clip is from the 1990s version again which is set in the 30s they stuck to the kidnap story and they actually feature the snatching of Jennifer who is now a general's daughter and she hits the man with her teddy bear and also elbows him before being taken. They make her quite a little badass. It's nice. Mm. Again, everything is condensed and Jennifer is kidnapped not for ransom, but it's for secrets that the general knows, I guess, because it's around wartime that the whole thing is set. Right. This clip, again, is from the five arriving on the island. The usual five actors feature as the episode is written by Helen Creswell and directed by Tim Leandro. Someone's been here! What a blow! We can't get in. I don't mind. Such a relief not having to stay in the dungeon. Hey, look here! The smoke we saw. Day trippers, maybe. Cheek. Let's not waste time. We need to find good shelter before night. I know a cave on the other side of the island. You kept that secret. Didn't you? No. Just forgot to tell you. This one, I think George is quite funny in because in this version she knows that there is a cave and the others say, oh, were you keeping that from us? And she's like, oh, no, I just didn't think to tell you. <laughs> Very funny. And I, li- I do like that they go to the cave in this version because, as we just discussed, that's one of my favourite things in the book. So what have we learned from Five Run Away Together? There's a lot of messages about dog care in this, including use the hose if they're fighting, do not use your arms. Don't give dogs chicken bones because they splinter. Uh, One of my favourite ones, eat mixed up meals for optimum happiness. And I just want to say here, one of another of my favourite parts of this book is it's in chapter 17. And they have a fine breakfast of tongue, tinned peaches, bread and butter, golden syrup and ginger beer. That's the end of the ginger beer, I'm afraid, said Julian regretfully. I must say ginger beer is a gorgeous drink. Seems to go with simply everything. I just, I don't know why I love that so much, but I love that. Ginger beer with everything. Mix everything up. Are you familiar with the idea that the famous five are credited with saying lashings of ginger beer? They actually never said it. Yeah, they never it's say like it. It's like elementary dear Watson. Sherlock never said it. It's one of those things that's been coined by people over the years, but it's actually inaccurate. They have had lashings of things later on. I think they have lashings of lettuce or something. And they've had lots of ginger beer. Absolutely, but yeah. never lashings. Never lashings. Mm. I've also learnt to always keep your cave neat and tidy. Yes. So who do you think is the hero of the book? I think for me, at the start, I was thinking that it was going to be Julian because he just turned into a grown-up so abruptly. But then I sort of didn't like how rude he was being. So for me, my hero is a toss-up between Dick, who I think, well, he slept in the boat overnight on his own. And he's always just trying to make people cheerful and like cracking his little jokes. He's such a jolly fellow. And also Anne, because I think she she sort of grounded them a lot in this. You know, they they had a nice cave to sleep in and they had meals and they had a fire because she took care of all of that stuff. She's the good one. What about you? I have to say, I couldn't decide when I was prepping for this episode. But having gone through it again just now, I think Anne is the hero. The tidying of the cave she calms George down very early on by saying you know Timmy doesn't understand why you're upset yeah she also says don't quarrel and George calms down and says you know sorry I was an idiot she's the one that works out that there's a little girl on the island even though the others are older and supposedly cleverer 
they've heard a, ch- a girl scream, there's girl's clothes in front of them. And Anne, who doesn't actually understand the concept of kidnapping, is like, the little girl is the smuggled goods. Yeah. And and Jennifer liked Anne very much. So I am happy for the hero of this book to be Anne. Anne, yay! Well done, Anne. So what's the scores so far, hero-wise? The standings at present are Dick 1, Timmy 1, Anne 1, Julian and George are yet to be the hero of the book. So I should probably tell you what we can expect next time. Please do, because I've got no idea. Book 4, 5 Go to Smuggler's Top, is an adventure away from Kirin, but not away from Uncle Quentin. Oh, okay. And if you've enjoyed our podcast, why not give us a review on iTunes? You can check us out on Twitter at Famous5Pod. We have got a website, which is www.famous5pod.wordpress.com. Or you can send us an email, famous5pod at gmail.com. Let us know which of the Famous Five you identify with the most. I am hashtag Team George. Jen? I'm I'm like hashtag Anne slash Dick. I thought so, because you started off Anne, then in the second book you went Dick, and then today I could feel you really wavering. Yeah, I think you are a nice balance between the two. Oh, thanks. I do try to live my best life and I do like to play houses. Yes, it is true. (laughs) And Jen, can I just ask you, what are all these dolls and bears doing in my bed? Oh, I'm just taking care of them for a little girl. But could you just have Timmy more over your side? He's so heavy on my legs and you're used to having him lay all over you. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.